And welcome to the socialworldpodcast.com. Your host is Dave Niven. Today's show is sponsored by David Niven Associates. Well, welcome to Podcast 43. I'm Dave Niven, and uh, it's good to have you with us again. Today, uh, I'm going to be talking to Ruth Smith, who's the editor of Community Care magazine, which is um, a specialist in house magazine that, um, that covers all aspects of social work and social care. Now, Ruth's the content director, as she calls herself, essentially the editor of Community Care, and it's won many awards, um, and she's responsible for all the content and the digital products that go across Community Care. But she's also been there for three years, and she's got a very good idea of the landscape of social work, and so it's a, a, a good angle to look at the profession from. So she talks about... Um, the experiences they've had there. It talks about the differences from paper, going from public pa- published paper to online, which just happened as she assumed the editor- editorship. But she also talks about the quality of social work. She talks about the landscape of employment. She talks about the recent investigations and how proud she was of some of them, how uh, they're in the third year of looking at uh, a major investigation into violence against social workers and still the reluctance of employers to investigate the majority of these episodes. So there's an awful lot that she covers, as well as um, her pride in some of the things that Community Care has managed to achieve and the challenges that she sees not only for the magazine and journalism covering social work, but also um, the the whole social work kind of um, checkerboard, if you like, at the moment, the way that the world looks at social work. So it's a fascinating angle to look at it from, from the journalist's point of view. And um, so I commend this interview to you. But just before we get there, I also want to just say thank you to yourselves, uh, whether it's on Twitter, at Dave Niven, whether you download this from the website, the socialworldpodcast.com, or whether you go to iTunes and download it from the um, iTunes store of podcasts, which people are increasingly doing, or Stitcher or Podfeed, any of these places that this podcast's available. I mean, I'm very excited about podcasting. I think I've made that clear over the last year. And I'm very excited to be in the vanguard of podcasting. Um, It's a marvellous new way of of communicating with people and getting all all of your listeners' views back to me and ideas, new things, challenges, critique, of course. So keep it coming, please. And... um, Well, let's have a listen to Ruth Smith. Let's have a listen to her interview that uh, I did, and um, then I'll have a quick word with you afterwards. Okay, I've got Ruth Smith with us today, folks, uh, editor of Community Care Online. Very well, well, welcome to you, Ruth. Hello, David. Good to be chatting to you. Excellent. Now, Luke, um, would you just like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, on the road to community care, if you like, the road to the magazine, what you were doing beforehand. 
Okay, so I've been a journalist for about 10 years now. Um, before that, I worked in the voluntary sector and worked for a small disability charity. So I've always been interested in social affairs and social care. I've covered, I first had my first reporting job just um, after um, uh, little Victoria Climbier died. And so that was the um, one of the first uh, jobs that I reported on. And it was after, um, just as the Every Child Matters Green Paper came out to look at trying to get social work and education and health to work much more closely together to stop uh, children slipping through the net. So I guess I've covered a lot of the big child protection cases and adults over the years. I've been a reporter, news editor, features editor, and then I became editor of Community Care um, at the end of 2011, just as we closed print. So I made the journey from print to online, and I um, won New Editor of the Year at the PPA Awards last year for, for, for that work. Busy woman. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, so look, what, I mean, three years you've been there just about. I mean, there's been some massive changes, massive upheavals and, and, and some real challenges in the social work world. Um, what are the sort of standout ones for you over the last three years? I guess how the um, watching the so how social work uh, responds when something goes wrong in the media, and we've seen the real efforts I think over the last few years to really raise the profile of social workers in the media, and also to to grapple with how you improve professional standards, and also then how you speak to the wider world about what social work does. So, I for me things like you know. Um, Bristol and Annie Hudson doing Protecting Our Children on um, the BBC. That was a real sort of, for me, a big um, water change in the sector because, I, I, you know, I felt social workers being really proud of what they did in the, in the and showing how, what they did and the complexity of their work and, and showing that to the wider world. And I thought that was a big step forward in terms of professional confidence for the um, profession. Mm. How would you, I mean, and absolutely I agree with Annie, about you with Annie, and of course Bill McKittrick before her, who actually was the first that brought them in. How, I mean, if you had to give a kind of a, a mark for social work in terms of its um, image in the media overall in the country, I mean, are they improving in your view? There, there have been isolated things, but are improving generally? I think they are improving and there's a lot of work going on. I still don't think as a profession that they are as confident and in the sort of broader media as, as say, doctors or police or or um, sort of health professionals. And I think that's something that as a profession we need to together get much better at tackling because I just still think there's a bit of a misunderstanding about what social workers do. And I think the more you can have the wider public understand the complexities of social work, both in adults and children, um, the better deal the whole profession is going to get. Mm. Now, community care has got a strong kind of profile online and, you know, you cover an awful lot of stories, uh, you know, on a daily basis. You, I mean, what would you say your role is in terms of our world, if you like, the social work world? Is it one of obviously informing? I mean, let's take that as a given. But uh, exposing issues, campaigning, would you say that's part of your role or, or protecting social work? I mean, what, how would you sum up the, the different headings? I mean, for me, um, I guess what the thing that 
when you when we moved from print, traditional print publishing is very different to online publishing. So in the old fashioned world of print, you know, an all powerful editor would um, decide what the front cover was, what the lead news story was of the week, and you'd serve that up and then you'd leave it alone for another week and people might write to you. But now I guess um, with online, it's much, much less hierarchical and we... Um, and it's much more bottom up. So our job is really to create a, a space that's completely independent, but a space for social workers to raise their issues and tell us what's important. And I guess a really big change for us is, is with online, you have metrics. So I do a lot of work behind the scenes looking at what social workers are interested in and what they're reading um, and so my job is to reflect what they're worried about and what, what what they want to know and so out of that comes you know some more campaigning and more um, investigative work so that we're really adding value to what the sector knows and really I guess clarifying and quantifying niggles so for example um we've just we've just done a big investigation into violence and we've done that every year for the last three years and and that's showing you know that 85 percent of social workers have faced some form of violence or harassment in in the last year and that but 70 percent of those incidences are not investigated by their employers and that's an example where we are really we know from social workers that that's a real challenge in their day-to-day work but actually it's not been taken seriously enough and is almost accepted as part of the job so in that we're doing an investigation we're quantifying what's going on and then we can highlight some of the things that needs change needs to change and, and we do that with all sorts of subjects from you know hot desking uh, levels of stress uh, we did a massive investigation with the BBC around um, what was happening with uh, the closure of mental health beds, and we 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 proved that um, you know that how many we showed how many beds had closed, that there was a shortage of beds, and that approved mental health professionals weren't able to place people who are in very very great need and distress near to their home, and, and that was compounding the distress. Mm. I mean, there's so many hidden things. I mean, within what you've just said there, I mean, the violence side of it, I remember very well from. You know, from all the years I was in practice and certainly when I was involved with Baswa, I remember there was one year where more social workers were killed in the line of duty than police officers. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't realise that. People don't realise the kind of uh, the dangerous situations that some social workers just have to live with day to day. Would you say that's fair? No. Absolutely. I think it's massively, massively underreported and and people just don't realise. And I don't think social workers, well, what social workers are telling us is that they don't get enough training and support to deal with people who can be really violent and aggressive. And, and I guess the thing that just strikes me time and time again is you'll get uh, the same family that say the police and social workers are working with police will always go with another colleague um they've got radio backup as soon as they need it whereas a social worker might have to go on their own with that's it <laughs> and and that doesn't seem very fair um so we're asking them to go into very risky situations and the stats showed that actually that risk is pretty awful and they're getting you know attacked with things like garden forks and, um, you know, punched, verbally abused, and that's just unacceptable. No, I and agree with you. I mean, I just yeah, it needs to be a much stronger framework for reporting it so that we can get proper, robust national figures because uh, we're the only ones that are systematically looking at every year, but because it's not actually systematic record, systematically recorded by employers, you can't really track the actual full extent of the problem. Mm. 
how about um, cross comparisons with, um, let's say, social work in other Western industrialized countries? Do you have much contact with colleagues elsewhere on, on these kind of issues? We do, and it's actually something I'd quite like to um, to to do more of is to expand our links um, internationally and talk to social workers, you know, beyond the UK. I mean, our main focus is the UK, but um, I think that actually it would be great to be talking more and finding out what other um, what other countries are doing to support their social workers. Hmm. How about the relationship? Let let because you, you touched on that earlier on. I mean between journalists and social workers, because, I mean, we talked about image of social work in the media, but um, I've always stuck to the point of view, you know, that we really need to look at the two different professions understanding each other better. Now, okay, community care is in a position that it sort of does because it specializes in working with social work and social care. But on the other hand, the vast body of journalists in this country probably have very, very limited information about anything more than the superficial about social work and what about social workers lecturing on trainee journalist courses and journalists lecturing on social work courses just to give people a sense of the two worlds that that will inevitably be coming into contact with each other yeah absolutely um i think there's a need though for um social work as a profession to get more confident at speaking to journalists and telling their stories because even us as a professional um, publication, you know, we're the sector that um, is, we're writing for social workers and but even we find it hard sometimes to get social workers to talk about the reality of their work and what they're doing. We still come across a lot of fear and it can take us a long time to work with those professionals to help them feel safe enough to talk to us about the reality of their job and that's obviously an investment that we make because we recognise that that's important but a journalist on a busy national isn't necessarily going to have the time to do all that work and reassuring and I think you need much more support all the way through an organisation to help and empower social workers to talk about what they do and I think they can be their front I come across a lot of fear to talk about what you're doing even if that's a very um even if it's just to say what a great job you've done, um, and that's again, I think there's a there's a structural problem there because employers aren't supportive enough of social workers to talk about them as a profession. Because you can be a social worker, or you're a social worker and a professional in a you know that identity is bigger than your current employer um and i think you see if you look at how gps behave i think they're much much more confident about talking about the profession of being a gp and i think that's where we need to get to in social work mm. you're preaching to the converted room um <laughs> i think and we're about to oh, launch an initiative soon with myself and the british association of social workers on that very topic so i'm very glad that you're kind of in in concert with it that that really helps, you know, if all if all the people who've either got influence or actually are the shop window in terms of the profession, it really does help to actually have that universality of kind of purpose. Can yes. I just ask you a little bit? Um, oh, come on, go on. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, I think Baswell actually do a very good job of speaking to the media because mm -hmm. one of the things from my sort of professional perspective is they're always ready to talk to you off the record and behind the scenes. Um and to really take the time to explain what the issues are. And I think, that, you know, they're always willing to talk to you. And I think they're a good example of an organisation that are actually being very proactive in talking to the media about what social work does. Mm. 
good. Yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree, and I think it's, uh, there's no harm in reinforcing that whatsoever. I was going to just move on a little bit and talk about the um, relationship, if you like. Given that one of my recent interviews was with um, Alan Wood, who's the president of the um, ADCS, and his views about the um, how some newly qualified social workers are possibly not fit for purpose in terms of how the educational establishments are um, dealing with them before they actually, when they leave and when employers uh, interview them for work and actually have some worries sometimes. To be fair to him, he said that there were some fantastic social workers around as well and it wasn't every establishment that he was talking about. But he he did say that himself and colleagues uh, up and down the country were uh, worried that there were some social workers being uh, on qualification who they didn't feel were ready for the work. How do, you, how do you feel about that or have you come across that debate before? Um, absolutely, it's a very, very live debate and I think one thing that is interesting about that was when I was at the recent um, JSWEC conference, um, you know, in private academics are saying, admitting that they do have people on their courses uh, students on their courses that they're not quite sure how they got through the admissions process and that they're under terrible pressure from universities to you know keep up numbers because numbers of students equals money um but at the same time they felt that there was, was quite a lot of defensiveness going on around how you know talking about how do you improve the quality of social work students and we, and we do know people you know there are some amazing social work students out there um but there are also some i think people tell us that you know actually there's they need a lot more training and I think I guess for me the interesting thing is about how you have that debate and I sort of observe quite a lot of defensiveness um, around and, and I guess it's of this whole thing about how do you talk through really complex issues where there isn't black and white and where everyone has a slightly different view in a way that's very I guess respectful of all the different views and that doesn't sort of antagonize each other and I think then you can start moving on and thinking about sensible solutions but I, I, I guess one thing is that there's a tendency to polarize the debates um, into sort of black and white good and bad and I don't think that necessarily helps when you're talking about something as complex as how do you educate the next generation of social workers. No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, touching back slightly to something you mentioned before, maybe looking at an international context, it was very interesting. I had a a very good interview with um, Antonina Dashkina, who's the president of the Russian Union of Social Workers. And she was telling us about the 500,000 social workers in Russia, but 200,000 of whom have, have a five-year uh, training program. And how I think wow. how she felt that they were, in effect, better ready with the way that they deal with it in Russia and the status of social work in Russia. Fascinating, really. Um, you know, sorry, go on. No, absolutely fascinating. And I think it's about also it's not just the actual, you know, university time. It's the, what happens when you have your, you know, your first year in, in practice and the support that you need. And, and I think social workers tell us, I mean, we know that the burnout rate for newly qualified social workers is exceptionally high. And even with, you know, some of the support programs that have come in in recent years that, uh, you know, not all so new social workers get the support they need need to transition into practice and I think that's where we need a lot more investment and and I think we need to acknowledge that, that actually costs money but it's money well spent if actually you retain those social workers 
for for longer in the profession because we know that social work has a very low retention rate because it's so stressful. I I, I know, and I mean, some of the other things interesting. I'd like to hear your views on the uh, two of the other sort of subjects that we touched on. One was, for example, agency staff. Um, I mean, you know, the the obvious problem is, and I'm sure it's the same in many other professions as well, where the whereas if you like, there's a buyer's market, and and you know, there's the vacancy rate is quite high, say in the big urban areas. Or somebody as a social worker earns X, you know, uh, in terms of salary, resigns, goes on to an agency and gets X plus 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 as an agency worker um, with less of the responsibilities. And okay, they haven't got all the benefits, but at the same time, the the salaries are much higher. And people do wonder about not the quality of the work that they do as much as the continuity that agency staff bring or don't bring. And that's such a, a pivotal kind of uh, pillar, if you like, of social work is the importance of continuity when working with individuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, how, how do you feel about that particular kind of um, hot potato? <laughs> well, I think the profession at the moment is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, and we need national solutions because at the moment what you have is this vicious cycle of a local authority gets a poor inspection or something awful happens so they get a bit more money so then they can um, recruit um, social workers and pay a little bit more for them Um, and then the neighbouring authority something happens and then another authority is trying to poach those social workers off them and so there isn't enough there's a real challenge to get um, experienced social workers um, there's not enough um, local, and then but there's a real challenge to get people to move from agency to permanent because agency pays so much better and we get people social workers telling us that one of the reasons um, they um, go for agency or go to a new job is it, it just means that you have a period of induction where your workload's a little bit less and it gives you a bit of a chance to recover so um it needs a national solution, but at the moment, local authorities have to compete against each other, and they're desperate for social work staff, so they have to pay agencies. But then you get you get really stuck, um, and I don't think anyone's quite cracked it yet, which is a problem for the the whole profession. Absolutely, and I, I'm sure you'd agree there's quite a difference too between urban and rural in terms mm-hmm. of when it comes to staff because. Some parts of the UK, you know, um, I mean, people don't go there just for the work. They make lifestyle choices to go there as well, and they don't tend to have that turnover. And so if you've got somebody that unfortunately isn't functioning well, the chances of turning that post over is not as high as it would be in a more um, quick-fire urban environment. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we're about to, um, on the 1st of October actually, we're publishing a major piece of research into social worker job seeking behaviour and it's going to, it looks at some of that. It's a a really in-depth piece of research with um, about 2,000 social workers and qualitative and quantitative um, and that's looking at some of the reasons why social workers move move jobs one of the interesting things is actually uh, in that is that actually it's about a quarter i think are saying that even if they've got a job they'll actually say no um which is quite interesting so they go through all the process of applying and and then actually when they find out a bit more about the post or the experience of being recruited isn't great so they then change their mind so that's interesting but that research we're just at the moment sort of digesting it was going to give quite an in-depth insight into all of those types of behaviors that sounds good you come that's publishing in october is it 
first of October. Yeah, it's got a strict embargo on it, so I'm <laughs> as limited. But it's uh, we're we're looking at it at the moment now. I'm doing a lot of work on it behind the scenes, and it's it's really really interesting um, around what is driving job seeking behaviour amongst social workers and what um, the sort of difference between agency and permanent staff and what why some people go for agencies and why they might change to permanent. No, no, it's, I mean, I mean, look forward to it. I mean, you know, that, that's something I think that people will be pretty interested in actually looking at because it does tend to become, it's one of these subjects that's terribly important but never, doesn't often get a huge exposure. It sounds like it's going to be a good read. Um, let me ask yeah. you one other thing, Ruth, here, about the actual quality of social workers because in just, you know, just in your view, I mean, Alan Wood made the point when I interviewed him, but it's, I've heard it elsewhere as well. Many people are now increasingly feeling that social workers are not doing social work. Um, they're not actually performing um, what they either signed up for or what the profession feels that should be their task. Um, and, and, and that's obviously possibly diluting, if you like, the education they got and the, the, their whole kind of purpose in terms of their professional identity. Um, how do you feel about that? Have you come across that argument much? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, as local authorities uh, in particular under huge pressure around their finances, you know, things, simple things like cutting admin administrative support for social workers is really short-sighted. Um, and I think some local authorities are actually really investing in that so that you can free up social workers to do what only social workers can do. But I, I think there needs to be more acknowledgement of the fact that social workers, if you've got really high caseloads, and you know our readers are telling us all the time that they work very long hours, that they're doing their job cuts into their family time, and actually they have to make a big sacrifice so you know so they work week evenings and weekends just to keep on top of things you can't actually do what you were trained to do because you're so busy and that's an intolerable level of pressure to put professionals under um, and I think we need to be much much more upfront about just how pressured it is and that you can't expect professionals to do what they you know the quality of what they what they know that they can do if you haven't if they got really high caseloads and are working ridiculously long hours and aren't getting the sort of support to process what is often very traumatic situations you know they're, they're and you know police for example get much more counseling paid for by their organizations whereas social workers are just expected to move on to the next case um no, and i don't totally with you on that ruth i mean and actually interestingly enough i'm just about to start a series of master classes with um research and practice at Dartington uh, and the first one we're putting on at the beginning of October is on reflective supervision um, and you know the idea because uh, I think everybody is agreed that it's um, it's conspicuous by its absence in many places in terms of because the only tools the social worker really has are between their ears and if you don't keep the social worker themselves healthy you're not going to get the best performance no, and things like hot desking, for example, as well. You know, there's been a big increase in hot desking, and social workers tell us that that means you miss out on that sort of peer-to-peer -peer support. That you know, coming back from the you know from a stressful home visit and knowing where your desk is and knowing who your colleagues are, and you, you just have that. You know, that's in a sense of self sort of supporting each other. Um, but if you don't even know where you're going to be sitting, um, you're not necessarily going to get that informal support. So it, that that reflective supervision becomes even more important 
um, to help to sort of process all of that. And, but but I guess, again, it's about giving managers the time to do it because, again, you can only do good reflective supervision if you've got proper structures in place and where managers have the time to do it or supervisors have the time to do it. It doesn't necessarily have to be your direct line manager. Um but you have to make time for it. And when cases are, you know, when you're firefighting all the time, then that can be really hard. Mm. Okay. Just final couple of questions, if I could then, Ruth. Um, firstly, within community care, within the magazine, right, obviously you're populated with journalists because, you know, and, and that's your profession. And journalists come and go in terms of, you know, life's like that. They move on to other magazines, other publications and so forth. Do you feel that those that you've been involved with for the last three years at community care, you would think have got a very good understanding of social work and have got an empathy, I mean, sympathy is a different word, empathy with the profession? Oh, absolutely. And our job as, you know, uh, on, on community care, we put a lot of time into training and listening and learning what it's like to be a social worker. And our, you know, we've skill of a good journalist is, is to listen and understand the complexity and really get under the skin of what it's like to be a social worker and then from that to work out what what content what stories are most likely to help a social worker do their job and that that might be news but that might also be you know some tools and guidance to help them get better at, at their job but yeah most of us really you don't work on community care without genuinely caring about the profession and actually, most of us have family members in social work, social care, or some sort of connection to the sector. So um, people are very committed to to the sector because I think it, it's you couldn't do that sort of job uh, without being really committed. No, I'm thinking too that um, there should be, and there, should, there is, I think, a sensitivity of understanding of those that actually what I would call maturely cover social work. Um, you know, for example, take Rotherham and all that terrible things that were coming up recently and the journalists that had to cover that, you couldn't not be affected as a human being by that um, and try and keep that objectivity as a journalist. That's a tricky job, I expect. Yes, it is. And actually, I put a lot of time behind the scenes in supporting um, my team because it does, you know, it is upsetting. We cover day in, day out sort of human misery that you wouldn't necessarily come across in a more general journalism job. Um, and, you know, reading, you know, reading serious case reviews is a pretty, um, pretty traumatic, actually, because that's not something you do as in, if you weren't in the profession or reporting on the profession. So I put a lot of time behind the scenes to to support them with that. So um, and that's an important sort of that's an unseen part of my job. But, um, you know, my making sure that my team are sort of got the support that they need to cover that is, is really, really important to me. Okay, well, look, thank you. And final question. Okay, nice question. Upbeat final question, if you like. In the three years you've been editing, you've been editing community care, would you like to uh, say what one of the, some of the high points that have been for you? Very proud of. Um, I guess it's our big investigations that really show um, what's happening. So I, I was really proud of our um, child protection investigation that was covered on the BBC 
BBC that showed um, thresholds for um, children in care were going up and that social workers were uh, were struggling to get children, you know, at risk on child protection plans, even if they'd faced very serious forms of abuse. And I was really proud of that because that got picked up. I'm really proud of some of the work um, my team have done on um, Andy McNichol around his campaigning work around mental health and what's been going on in um, adult mental health. And he, he's been shortlisted along with Michael Buchanan at the BBC for... Um, mind journalist of the year for that for those investigative investigations and i guess i'm really proud of proud of that so that's a real high and we were, you know that again was covered all over the bbc and we were really proud because that again is when social workers get in touch they like they did on both those investigations and said thank you for highlighting what it's really like to be a social worker and you know showing what the challenges that i face every day and you know when when one of my team goes and does a visit and writes about um what it's like to be a social worker and we get social workers saying to us oh thank you I feel really proud to be a social worker those are the days when you just think well that's that's why we work really hard all right thank you very much my thanks to Ruth for that interview um many more to come from lots of different people in the weeks ahead I mean we're getting into the autumn and the winter now and the the darkness is descending but hopefully we can bring a little bit of light into the social work world I've got plenty more interviews lined up, plenty more people to talk to. I mean, the world is a never-ending um, one of challenges, interesting things, excitement. And from the whole profession of social work, there's so much to happen now. There's so many inquiries going on, investigations going on, problems being uncovered, challenges in the actual practice. So um, plenty more for this podcast to have a look at. So again, thanks to Ruth Smith. Thanks to Alba Digital Media, who helped put this together. Remember, you can get in touch with me either through email or through the podcast site itself, Social World Podcasts, or Twitter, at Dave Niven. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>